You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Wow, that's terrific. What a wonderful welcome. I, I wish my mother could have seen that. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that is absolutely terrific, and what a great day. Uh, I mean, I love this show. You guys have a great church here, Gateway Church. I mean, there's so much excitement, the early service and this, and I just love it. And and you know what I love about it? Okay, it's just not a group of people all gathered together, you know, on a Sunday morning in a club or something. You're gathered in the name of Jesus, worshiping the Lord, and His presence is here. I don't know how it is back there, but I can tell you what, right down here on the front row, I mean, it is electric with the presence of God. And when God is here, God is here to do something. He's not here just to watch. He's here to do something. And I'm, ex- I'm excited about that. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Luke chapter 5, verse 17, uh, and uh, reading through verse 26. Here's what the Word of God has to say. One day, the, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Let's bow our head. Father, I thank you because of the fact that that the presence of Jesus is here with us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for coming in our midst. And we ask, dear Lord, that as you are here, that you would speak to the hearts of people as we participate a a, a little bit later in in a miracle that will change the destiny and the destination of people that we'll never meet until we meet them in heaven. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak faith to us and courage to us. Now, Lord, one more time, I cannot do this alone. I need your help. I need your touch. Anoint me by your Holy Spirit with a demonstration of the power of God on the ministry of the word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen to God forevermore. Now, in, in this passage of Scripture, it tells a story. It's a story that's been preached on many times. I'm sure you've had heard sermons on this many times. So the Bible tells that Jesus was in a house and he was teaching. It tells how Pharisees and teachers of the law who were from uh, from uh, fr- from Judea and from and from uh, Jerusalem and Galilee and all of the villages around there. These these Pharisees and teachers of the law were there, and and then it says that uh, even in the midst of that, the power of the Lord was present to heal. And then it told about four men. These four men had a friend that they loved very dearly. He was paralyzed. They heard somehow that Jesus was going to be in this house on this day. And loving their friend, they thought, if we could get our friend to Jesus, if we could get him in the presence of Jesus, he can be healed. And so they brought him to this house. What they hadn't figured on was the crowd. And the, the crowd was so great that, uh, that they couldn't get in through the door. They couldn't get in through the window. So they did something unusual. They went up to the roof of the house. Uh, they broke through the tiles. Uh, they lowered the man down in front of Jesus. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these men, he said to this man, friend, your sins are forgiven you. When he did that, these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they didn't say anything, but they began to think in their heart, uh, who is this blasphemer? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Uh, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, what's easier to say? 
your sins are forgiven or to pronounce healing. And to demonstrate he had authority, he healed the man. He said, get up off what you've been laying on. Take it, fold it up, and go home. And he was healed immediately. And I love it. In verse 26, it says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I mean, I love statements like that. These exclamatory statements when people have encountered Jesus and it touches their life and they make statements like that. We've seen remarkable things today. I can understand that because as an Assembly of God missionary for 41 years, I, I've seen some pretty remarkable things. I mean, I've, I, 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 I've, I've seen healings. I've seen, I've seen uh, 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 people come forward out of, out of the darkness of their life and accept Jesus. I've, and I, I, I've seen remarkable things. I met remarkable people. I, I met the president of Laos, uh, uh, President Pumi Wongwichit, and I negotiated our entrances to the Assemblies of God Mission in Laos. I, I, I met with the, with the president of uh, the National Assembly of Cambodia, Chiasem, and, and I, I met remarkable people. I, I've been to remarkable places. The, the Great Wall of China, the Tibet, the Himalaya Mountains, the rooftop of the world. And I, I've, seen, I've seen remarkable things on my plate. On my plate, I have seen remarkable, frightening things. For years, we did these open-air evangelistic meetings in Thailand, and we had kind of a big team. We had about 15 on our team. We had musicians, and, and we had the guys who put up the tents and all this kind of stuff. And so, uh, and so we are traveling full-time, and so because we had a big team, uh, and we were in places that didn't have restaurants at all, we had a full-time cook. His name was Jun. And so they would go ahead of me, and they would get everything set up. And once everything's ready for the evangelistic campaign, then they would contact me and say, Ajahn Ron, in Thai, Ajahn means like pastor, teacher, reverend. They'd say, Ajahn Ron, everything's ready. You can come on up. So on one particular occasion, they told me I got on a bus, 9 o'clock at night, our home in Bangkok, traveled all night long, uh, got to the uh, uh, scene of our crusade about uh, 11 o'clock the next morning. The first one to meet me was our cook, John. And he said to me, I, John, Ron, are you hungry? And I said, I sure am. He said, we've made something special for you. Now, friends, the words that missionaries fear the most. Oh, we've made something special for you. He put uh, uh, on the table a plate full of frogs. Now, I didn't say frog legs. I grew up in Georgia. We ate frog legs. Uh, not frog legs. I mean frog. The whole thing. Head, little arms, legs, body, all of it. <laughs> and they don't French fry them. They take them and they kill them. And they lay them on a rattan mat. And they sunbake them until they're dry and rubbery. That's frog jerky, isn't it? I mean, it is. Uh, listen, I know what it is to have a frog in your throat. I mean, I really do. <laughs> I really do. I've seen remarkable. And so I've said, but, but I thought about this passage of Scripture. These people, this crazy, they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Uh, they saw things they would tell their grandchildren. And I began to think about that. What remarkable things had they seen? And I looked at this passage, and I found what I think are three remarkable things they saw that day. First of all, they saw that the power of the Lord was present even in the midst of doubters. You see, these Pharisees and teachers of the law that were there, they weren't the Jesus fan club. They were his opponents. They came to catch him in something. Yeah, they didn't believe that he was who he said he was. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They didn't believe he had the power to forgive sin. And, and so these were the doubters. They doubted and they tried to instill doubt in others. But the Bible said that there they were, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And the next thing it said right after that, it said, And the power of the Lord was present. Right in the midst of doubters. I can understand that because I, I, I have seen that in my world. I've seen that in China. I wish you could go with me to, to, to China. We started our career in Hong Kong, served several years in Hong Kong, going in and out of the mainland. Foreigners couldn't live those days, going in and out of the mainland, ministering with the, with the house church. And then we kind of took a 20-year side trip over to, over to Thailand and Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, and, and did ministry there, church planning in opening countries. And then we returned 18 years ago to, the, to, to our original call to the, to the People's Republic of China. Uh, uh, but, but in China, the, the power of the Lord is there, present, 
even in the midst of doubters. You see, in 1949, Chairman Mao, the father of the Communist Party in China, led the communist revolution and turned the country into a communist country. When he did that, there are, there are only about 750,000 Christians in China, which is just, a, I mean, not even a measurable percent compared to the total population. But it was too many for Chairman Mao. He said, there's no place for Christianity in this communist country. He said, I will destroy Christianity. Uh, uh, I, I, I will do away with it. And, and, and it will not exist when, it, uh, when, uh, uh, when I'm finished with it. Chairman Mao doubted that anyone, anyone could survive as a Christian with what he would do in an assault on Christianity and the church and believers. He doubted that any Christian could survive. But I found some. <laughs> I found some. They're there. They're there. They, uh, I've, I've been in the little house churches in China. You've heard of the house church movement in China, and I've been there, and I've been with them, and I've ministered in the house church of China. I was in, I was in one little house church uh, on one particular occasion. It was just a little tiny room. We were all sitting there on the floor because they could get more people in the room uh, uh, if everybody sat on the floor. And So I was sitting there, and we were waiting for the service to start, and the man that was sitting next to me began to tell me about their pastor. Now, their pastor was already pastoring when, when the communists came into power. And as Chairman Mao sent people all around the country to find, to find uh, uh, these pastors in their churches and to close them down, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the national police, the secret police, came and they, and they found this pastor. And they came to him and they said, now listen, they said, we have come to arrest you and take you off to jail. They said, but we don't have to arrest you. All you have to do is say that what the missionaries told you was a lie. And what you have been preaching is a mistake. And then you promise that you will not preach anymore. And we won't arrest you and take you off to prison. I was told that that, uh, that that pastor put his finger in their face. And he said, I cannot do that. He said, what the missionaries told me is true. What I've been preaching is true true. And he said, and if you let me go, I'll continue to preach and to pastor my church. They arrested him. They put him in prison. He was in prison for many years. Finally, they came to him one day and they said, we can, we can release you now. They said, you don't have to recant. You don't have to deny anything. All you have to do uh, is to promise when you go back home, you will fish or you will farm or you will sell noodles. You will do anything, but you will not preach. He said, if you let me go, I will go home and I will form my church again and I will preach because that's what God saved me and he called me to do. They put him back in prison and there in prison, many years in solitary confinement, he went completely and totally blind. And then finally, they might have thought he's old and he's helpless and he's harmless and he's blind. We'll just release him. Somehow in his blindness, he found his way back home and he restarted his little church. And I was there with him. When the man finished telling me the story, we sat waiting for a little while and suddenly a door opened in the back of the room. And this old pastor that he was telling me about emerged from the door. Now he's old and he's stooped over and he's blind. A young man on either arm, they led him up to the pulpit. Not a lovely pulpit like this, but one made of rough, used lumber. When he got to the pulpit, he took either side with his hands and the young men released him and they went and sat down. And he took and he pressed himself up until he stood erect and strong. There was no Bible on the pulpit. If there was one, he couldn't, he couldn't read it for his, for his blindness. But that old man began to quote the word of God. He began to quote from the Old Testament, the Psalms and the Proverbs and the 
books of the law and he moved over to the New Testament and he began to quote from the Gospels and the Epistles. And, and as I listened to that old blind pastor quoting the Word of God, I began to weep. I realized I'd, I'd had my Bible my entire life and I couldn't quote the Word of God the way he did. For the first time in my life, I understood the Scripture that says, Thy Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, O God. You see, they had taken the Bible from his hand, but they couldn't take the word of God from his heart. Hallelujah. I could just see that old pastor in that little tiny cell walking back and forth, preaching against the walls, rehearsing against the day that one day he would preach again. They thought, uh, we'll put him in solitary confinement. In solitary, he will be alone. In his loneliness, he will get discouraged. In his discouragement, he will give up. But what they did not realize was he was not alone. The presence of God was with him, touching him and anointing him against the day that he would stand and he'd pastor his church again. The power of the Lord was present even in the midst of darkness and doubters. I was in one house church meeting, a little house church meeting, and, and uh, uh, in, that, in, in, in that meeting, uh, uh, it was just a group of young people. And so I preached to them and all, and, and so one of them said, uh, 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 Ma, is my Chinese surname in Cantonese dialect, Moksi means pastor in Cantonese dialect, which is a dialect that, 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 that I had learned. And uh, they said, Mom, see, they said, you're an ordained minister, aren't you? And I said, well, yes, I am. They said, you know, our tradition uh, here in China is that we can only be baptized by an ordained minister. They said, we don't have a minister. We don't have a pastor. It's just us. They said, we've been serving the Lord many years. We've never been baptized. Will you baptize us? I tried to teach them. The Bible doesn't say you have to be ordained to baptize. I tried to teach them. Elder, you baptize the younger. Parents, you baptize your children. But they wouldn't hear of it. They had, he said, Mom, she said, we have our tradition. you got to be baptized by an ordained. I said, you're ordained. How can you deny us? So I said, okay, but you know, what could you do? You couldn't go out to a public place. I said, I will, but how? They said, don't worry, everything's under control. Somebody pulled out from under a counter an old tin wash tub. You know what I mean? A wash tub is about this big around, and it's about this deep. They took it, and they put it on the floor, and uh, I, I did, uh, they filled it with water. So I just knelt down next to it, and they knelt down in the middle line. The first one came up. I put my hand on her head. I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and I'm master as deep down into that wash tub as I could get her. I baptized the top half of 17 people. And after that, I began to think, now I'm an Assemblies of God minister. And we in the Assemblies of God, we believe in baptism by total immersion, don't we? I thought now that I baptized the top half of these people, should I turn them around? And I could, uh, <laughs> you know what? I decided just to call the job done. <laughs> Didn't seem to matter to them. I don't think it mattered to God. They were baptized. The power of the Lord is present even in the midst of doubters. Why is the power of the Lord present in church? It's present because Jesus is present. The power of the Lord is present where Jesus is present. I've been with a church and I said, how is it that not only you survive, but you thrive? They said, Mom, see, they could take away our pastors. They could take away our Bibles. They could take away our churches. They could take away our freedoms, but they can't take Jesus from our heart. He is there and he is alive and he remains. And the power of the Lord is present. The second remarkable thing that they saw was that God accomplishes his purposes through unconventional methods. These people brought their friend for healing. The conventional way to get him into the house and in the presence of Jesus was to bring him through the door. But they couldn't get him through the door. The doorway was filled. They couldn't get him through the window. The window was filled. So they did something unconventional. They went up to the roof of the house, they broke up the roof of the house, and they lowered the man through the hole in the roof down in front of Jesus, where Jesus forgave him of his sins and healed him of his affliction. God accomplished his purpose that day in unconventional methods. I can understand that because in my career, I've seen God accomplish things in unconventional ways. 
for years I did these evangelistic meetings in Thailand, and, and there were surrounding countries that, uh, that, uh, uh, that were hardline communist countries, Cambodia to the, uh, to the east, and I caught a heart for Cambodia, and it, it was a brokenhearted nation. Uh, Paul Pot led the Khmer Rouge in 1975 into power and, and ravaged that country. By, uh, in the four and a half years that he was in power before Vietnam felt threatened and invaded, he was responsible for the death of a quarter of the population of the country, two million people. And it was in civil war, and it was a communist country, and hardline, and there's no freedom of religion, and missions and missionaries were not allowed, but God sees my heart for that country. And I thought, Lord, if we could somehow get in there and, 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 and do our, establish our ministries. And so I thought, well, at least I'm going to apply to the, to the Cambodian embassy. Just ask for one visit, permission to make one visit. So we requested a, a visa to make one visit to, to the country of, of Cambodia. It's myself and our regional director for Asia Pacific, Bob Hulin, a missionary by the name of Lester Kinney. And we went in there. It was a heartbroken country, still in civil war. When we laid down in the little guest house at night, we could hear machine guns in the street and the ground shuddered from uh, mortar shells falling. And every day the government took us around. We we're just trying to find a way to find presence. And so uh, we began to pray every day, Lord, bring us into contact with the person that has the authority, the authority to, uh, to establish our ministries here. And so we, uh, we were meeting with people every day. And so one day we were in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And in this Ministry of Foreign Affairs, we met by, uh, with a man by the name of Himsamuk, and we realized this is the man. And we began to pray, God, somehow do something, do something that will, that will uh, create favor uh, in, in, uh, in his heart for us. And so uh, uh, as we were meeting with him, Bob Houlihan was the, was the regional director. And, and, and so he was talking. And as he was talking, I took out a little thing. It was about the size of my iPhone, uh, but uh, or they didn't have iPhones. Uh, at that time, didn't have smartphones. It was just a little electronic memo taker. It's called a sharp wizard. You just tapped out the letters and then you saved it. You saved notes. So as we were talking to this man, Himsamuk, uh, and I'm taking these notes on this thing, all of a sudden he stopped and he pointed at that and he said, what is that? And before I could say it's just an electric memo taker, Bob Houlihan piped up. He said, that's a pocket computer. Well, pocket computers didn't exist in those days. It was 1990. He said, that's a pocket computer. The man got all excited. He said, pocket computer. And he looked at me and he said, do you know about computers? And before I could say, well, no, I don't know about computers. Bob said, yes, he's a computer expert. <laughs> man, I'm getting kind of nervous. He said, computer expert. He said, somebody gave us a computer and it's broken. We can't make it work. And he looked at me and he said, can you fix our computer? And before I could say, well, no, I'm sure I cannot fix your computer, Bob piped up and says, yes, he can fix your computer. Well, the man let us out and he took us to the took us to the next building, and, and when we went into the next building, there's a computer sitting on a table in the middle of the room, and, and uh, I went, and I sat down, and I flipped the switch on, and, and uh, it wouldn't work. It's just a little blinking hyphen up in the top left of the screen. I didn't know what to do. I'm just praying to God what to do. And then, and then this was back when computers had diskettes. You remember that? And so uh, it had a disk drive, and I said to the secretary, I said, do you have the original disk Discat that came with this, she said, well, I think so. And she looked in the drawer, and she found it. So I turned the computer off, and this is what's called a boot disk. You could start the computer off that disk. And so I put it in there, and I turned the computer off, and it started off with that. But that doesn't solve the problem, because the problem was with the hard drive, where all of the programs are and everything. You had, that, had to, that had to work. And so, But I was able to start the thing up and then log over to the hard drive. And I got into a file called a config sys file. And I worked for a little bit. And, and, uh, and, and, and you know, I, I did everything I knew to do. Stuff I had no idea what I was doing. Finally, I was done. I didn't know what else to do. And so I turned it off. I punched the button, took out the diskette. And I just let it sit for a, sit for a, 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 a little while. And then I thought, OK, I'm going to give it a shot. And uh, now this, uh, this, uh, this communist leader, hardline leader, is standing uh, you know, right next to me. And I flipped the switch. Uh, uh, the diskette was out. It was going off the hard drive. I flipped the switch, and it booted up. When it booted up, I turned, and I said, it works. When I said, it works, that communist leader threw up both hands. Uh, and he said, 
Long live the assemblies of God. <laughs> and then he said, you have helped us. What can we do for you? And I said, we want to come and establish orphanages and clinics and schools in order to demonstrate the love of Jesus to hurting Cambodian people. And he sat down at that desk and he wrote out permission for our first five visas for the country. God accomplishes his purposes through unconventional methods. No one, no one could have strategized that. <laughs> Only God. And you know, in China, God has accomplished his purpose through unconventional methods. 1949, the communists took over. But what if, what if a couple years before that, say 1947, a group of missionaries sitting together saying, well, the work's going really slow. It's going really slow. And, 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 and what can we do? What could we do that would cause it to grow? And could you imagine if one guy pipes up and he says, well, I, I've been thinking, what if we pray that the communists do take over? And they throw all of us missionaries out of the country. And they make it illegal to worship God. And they arrest the Chinese pastors. And they confiscate the churches. And they seize everyone's Bible. And then revival will come. He would have been laughed out of the room. But that was God's plan. The communists came to power. Chairman Mao threw all the missionaries out of the country. He arrested the pastors, confiscated the churches, destroying many, turning others into communist training centers, seized Bibles, determined that Christianity would be destroyed. In 1966, they felt, he felt that the, the, the fervor for the revolution was waning and it was losing momentum and so he sent hundreds of thousands of what was called red guards across the country and was called a cultural revolution looking for any vestige of counter-revolutionarism not just looking for religious things but any anything they considered anyone they considered counter-revolutionary but sometimes they would find a man who had escaped uh, their attention in preaching they arrested him and put him in prison they find somebody with a Bible. They took their Bible away. They might find a small group of Christians that are still gathering, uh, hidden away in the name of Jesus, and, and, and they would scatter them hundreds of miles in different directions. In 1975, Chairman Mao's wife, Chang Jing, said, Christianity is in the dustbin of Chinese history. It doesn't exist any longer. In 1976, Chairman Mao died, followed by a couple of years of turmoil and upheaval. And... Then a man by the name of Deng Xiaoping rose to power. Chairman Deng was a moderate and kind of a liberalizer. And he began to lift a hand of, uh, the, uh, of uh, the, the heavy oppression that was on the country as a whole. He began to kind of lift that oppression. And all of a sudden, the church they thought that had been destroyed, the church they thought did not exist any longer, began to pop up and reemerge. It hadn't been destroyed. It had simply gone underground. By 1980, they realized that then there were literally millions of Christians. And today, 69 years after communism and after that edict from Chairman Mao, we will destroy the church. 69 years of them trying to destroy and do away the church of Jesus Christ. It's estimated that there are more than 100 million believers in the nation of China. It's grown more than 100 times. I know people ask me sometimes when I say this, you know, more than 100 million believers in China. Sometimes people say, well, Ron, how do you know? How do you know? And, and uh, well, let me ask you something. How many of you folks, does anybody have a, 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 an iPhone? Anybody here use an iPhone? Anybody ever talk to, honey, you ever talk to Siri? You ever ask Siri something? Let's ask Siri. Let's ask Siri. Now, my observation is sometimes Siri doesn't cooperate. You ever had that? Sometimes, you know, you say, hey, you know, uh, what's the temperature outside? And she said, well, it's none of your business or something like that. I mean, you know, she, sometimes she just, she just doesn't cooperate. So let's, let's pray and hope she cooperates right now, okay, because I've done this for her, and sometimes she didn't, okay? Okay. Siri, 
How many Christians are there in China? The answer is about 108 million people. Siri! Siri says there are 108 million Christians in China. And Siri has no agenda here. She's not even a Christian. And I know. I witness to her all the time. And she always rejects 108 million Christians in China. God accomplishes his purposes through unconventional methods. And the last thing is, God met the man's most pressing need, not his most obvious need. His most obvious need was for healing. He was paralyzed. But the Bible says that when this man's friends lowered him down in front of Jesus, he saw their faith and he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. His most obvious need was for healing. His most pressing need was for forgiveness of sin. Why? Because you can go to heaven as a paralytic, but you can't go with un forgiven sin and then he healed the man the most pressing need in missions today is for those that are outside of the great Christian awakening that has taken place in many parts of the world Africa Latin America the great Christian awakening that has happened amongst the Chinese population of China the largest people group, ethno-linguistic people group in the world are the Han Chinese. The Han are the pure Chinese. There are one billion Han. The Christian awakening in China has taken place amongst the pure ethnic, the Han Chinese. So that means the Han Chinese, 10% of them are believers. China has 1.4 billion people. That means 400 million of them are not Han Chinese. They're Muslims. They're Tibetans. There are all kinds of ethnic minority groups in southwest China, in the northern part of China. They are outside of the great Christian awakening. Do you know that in China there are more than 60 million Muslims? When you think of Muslims, do you ever think of China? When you think of China, do you ever think of Muslims? More than 60 million Muslims? Like the Uyghur Muslims? The Uyghur Muslims say there are 20 million of us. There's no church. There's no Uyghur church. Hui Muslims, they claim 20 million of us. There's no Hui church. Tibetans, nearly 8 million Tibetans. Tibetan Buddhism is the darkest religion I've ever seen. Uh, the Tibet is spiritually the darkest place I've ever been. Sinister. Lama, Buddhist monks, the highest order of religious Buddhism. In secret ceremonies, they will conjure up evil spirits and ask the demons to possess it. By invitation, they seek evil, demonic spirits to possess them. There is no Tibetan church. The Hindus of India, the Buddhists of the world, the Muslims, the little small local indigenous religions, animistic religions. More than 7,000 identifiable people groups in the world that are unreached, where the church is not planted. The name of Jesus is not known. That's the most pressing need to take the message of Jesus where the cross has not been lifted up, where his church has not been planted, where his name is not known, where believers don't exist. That's the pressing need of missions today. And that's why we do what we're doing today, Faith Promise Sunday. In every one of your seats, there was one of these Faith Promise cards. Will you take it? You may be sitting on it. <laughs> if so, just kind of get it out. Maybe in your, take and hold it in your hand, will you? Faith promise. 
So what is the plan? What is the solution? How do we reach the unreached? Those that, there's no church, no cross, don't know the name of Jesus, never held a Bible in their hands, no one going to their place and telling them about Jesus. The unreached peoples of China, Tibetans, the Muslims of China, 98% of them would not even know a Christian person. There's no church. You know, in America, if you go to hell and you live in America, you're going to have to drive past a lot of churches to get there. You can't go to hell from America without passing churches and skipping some TV stations and some radio stations. But there are places and peoples in the world no church. It's depressing me. So a missionary faith promise service where you take that faith promise card in your hand and say, Lord, there are more than 7,000 unreached people groups on every continent of the earth who do not know the name of Jesus without effective witness. And we realize this. They are our responsibility. How can we withhold what we have been told? Somebody told you about Jesus and me about Jesus and we believe. For those who do not know, they're our responsibility. And the Bible says, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? That's the missionary. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? There are two kinds of Christians. Those who go and those who give to send them. And so a missionary faith promise. You hold this missionary faith promise card in your hand. And as you hold it in your hand, it's just, a, it's just paper and ink. That's all it is. But as we pray and say, God... What's my responsibility? And God speaks to our hearts. And we hear what God is speaking, that we should respond in faith to give into the missions program of this church so that in turn this church can support missionaries and ministries to those who've never heard when we hear what God speaks to our heart and we write that down and we put our name on it, it ceases being paper and ink and it becomes a love letter to the lost that we're writing to them, God loves you and so do I. But you know the beauty of this? It's not entirely up to us and our resources, what we do. It's a faith promise, which means we're in partnership with God. The first four words say, as God enables me. You see what we don't give you with the faith promise card? When we put this card on your seat, you know what we didn't put with it? A calculator. Because that's not how it works. It's not like saying, here's my take-home pay. And out of that, this is my tithes. This is my house note. These are my utilities. These are other expenses, groceries, gasoline. After all of my expenses, this is what I have left. And so out of what I have left, this is what I figure I can afford. If we do it that way, then where is faith? And where is God? A faith promise is about stretching into the arena of faith beyond our own ability to give. It's entering a partnership with God because it's not about what's in my hand. It's about what's in God's hand. It's not about my resources it's about
God's resources. It's not about my plan. It's about God's plan. And so, this one Sunday a year, many of you who've been a part of this church for a while have done this before. Make a faith promise. Partner with God and trust God to help you to fulfill what he spoke to your heart. Some of you are new. And some of you have never made a faith promise. And you have the opportunity to get in on this faith adventure. Saying, Lord, speak to my heart so I can be a part of telling those who know nothing about Jesus. Nothing about Jesus. And so here's our opportunity to partner with God and to change the world. God bless you, Pastor, as you come. Thank you, friends. Wonderful to be with you today. Amen. Thanks. I could listen to Ron all day long. Thank you for coming and sharing and challenging us and setting it up for us to be able to consider what would God have us to do this year for Faith Promises. I've shared my story before. Um, ever since I was in junior high, I've made a faith promise every single year of my life. Um, I, the very first time someone challenged me to make a faith promise is our district director for youth. And uh, he said, you can give up a Big Mac, uh, $2 a week. And uh, that was his challenge. And I said, man, $2 a week, I could do that. And so I, uh, and I actually, I, I, I said, man, I can do, I can do twice that. And I, I actually wrote in $104 uh, for the year. And I was able to accomplish that with God's help. And every year since then, uh, until I was married, and since we've been married, we've continued to do that. And the Lord has blessed us greatly. Uh, we at the Gateway Church, we believe this is part of our DNA, that if you're a part of our church, we are, the expectation is that you do something as the Lord provides. If the Lord can get something to you, can he get it through you? That's what we believe, uh, that when he can do that, he can see us as being faithful. He will provide in supernatural ways. That second point in your message about unconventional means uh, really spoke to me this morning. Uh, some of you know that uh, part of the way that we fund missions, uh, we do it some in our uh, normal uh, our normal check. We take a portion out for missions, but then above and beyond that, it's our faith promise. Uh, we we I do a lot of flipping of things. I'll buy and sell and, and trade and, and, uh, and do different things. And uh, this last year, uh, we made the largest faith promise that we had ever made. And we didn't know how that was going to uh, be accomplished. And uh, month by month, we were able to do that. And I ran out of uh, gusto. I thought, man, with the building that we're building down the road, uh, it, my schedule has changed. I stopped being able to garage sale like I had been. Uh, and something emerged that was right from God. It was an unconventional way. I shared it first service. Uh, there, was a, there was a man in our church, his sister uh, contacted me and said, hey, I hear that you, give, that you uh, buy and sell things. Would you help me sell some of my late husband's stuff. And I said, well, this would be the deal. And she said, I will give you 50%. And I said, that's a pretty good deal. But listen, for me, uh, my 50% will go, I'll pay my tithes off that. And then 100% after that goes to missions. And she said, that's great. Uh, that sounds great. And I have sold boats and camera equipment and a uh, car loads of stuff for this lady from, from her husband, thousands and thousands. And we were able to hit our missions pledge uh, this last year, and we rejoice. And it was a joy to do that. And God provided in unconventional ways. And it's like, okay, what can we do? This morning, I don't know, what, or this afternoon at this point, I don't know what the Lord has been speaking to you but I'm believing that as we ask the Lord, God, what would you have me to do? He'll speak to us. And what we want to, to do 
is to write that down and trust God. And like Ron said, first service, he said, man, if you write something down and you say, ah, that's in my budget, I can do that, the, you may want to reconsider because uh, where's the faith? And we have, we have tried to model that and we are doing that again this year saying, all right, Lord, what do you have for us to do? And we want to lead the way in that way. Um, this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and kind of set our hearts before the Lord. Um, while the worship team plays this song, it's a, kind of a response song. I want, uh, I want you to consider and to fill out this faith promise card. And we want everyone to participate. If you, again, if you call the Gateway Church your home or if you've been connecting with us saying, man, I, I really believe in what they're doing, we're asking you to ask the Lord what to do. And uh, husbands and wives, you need to do that together. And during the song, you can uh, discuss and, and challenge each other and, and uh, write something out. Uh, if you're single, uh, just listen to the Lord and trust God. And to do that, I did that for many years before I was married. And uh, then from there, uh, when the halfway through the song, um, there's kind of an instrumental. At that point, I will kind of come back and at that point, we'll stand and we will respond together. And what you'll do is you will rip off the right side of this. You'll keep the small portion as a reminder. You put that in your Bible or you put it in your journal. You put it in a place where you pray. And then this portion here, we're going to ask that you would bring that forward and put it in the bucket. And when you put it in the bucket, I want you to know that only one or maybe two people will ever see that. We don't go hounding after you. This is a faith promise between you and God. I don't even see these. I don't want to see this. I don't, I don't, I, I care, but I don't, I don't care what you give. I just believe that when God speaks and you trust him, God's going to work it out. And so we, when you bring these forward, we will tally these. Someone from our missions team will gather those and, uh, and then re, we will report back next Sunday. But listen, this morning, we are believing for a miracle. I, I, Ron Maddox, first service, and I'm not sure you said this second service, but, uh, but listen, when, when um, it's one thing to see a miracle. How many, it's awesome to see a miracle, isn't it? But to be a part of a miracle is even greater. And this morning, we are, or this afternoon, we're inviting you to be a part of a miracle. And so we're asking you to consider. Um, one last thing. Um, you know, when you said that this is a love letter, I'd never heard a faith promise being considered as a love letter to God and to the people that are unreached. This morning, what is the love letter that God is putting on your heart to give and to do this next 12 months? Let's ask the Lord to do the supernatural in this place. We've seen missions grow, and we believe it's going to continue to grow. And without further ado, uh, why don't you go ahead and lead us, Pastor Bobby, and uh, we'll discuss. Let's write these out, and then I'll be back, and we'll respond together. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want you to know that what we've just done together collectively, there's a supernatural component that's included in what we just did. And God is the one that gets all the glory. As we were singing and just responding in faith, I was reminded of the 110, it's actually 113 missionaries that we support through Faith Promise Giving every single month in organizations. And some would say, man, that's incredible. Um, you know, for a church your size, how do you do that? Well, it's the faithfulness of God's people responding just like we did. But I asked Ron Maddox, I said, how many just Assemblies of God missionaries are there in the world? And I, I, I didn't know. He said there are over 2,700 missionaries. So if we saw our numbers double or triple the amount of missionaries, 
over the next several years. We believe that we are poised for multiplication, and this is our future. We believe that. It would not be, it, we're, not, we're hardly scratching the surface in some ways. And I believe God is calling us to do more and to see this number double and triple over the next several years. And to me, that's exciting. <laughs> that's something I want to be a part of. That's something that's bigger than just my family. And you have just partnered with us to see that happen. Isn't that incredible? And so as we leave today, I, I, some of you, I know, I've been there. Jessica, we've been there. We've rode out and we are scared out of our mind like how in the world in fact, we, we've not decided what we're going to do yet. We, we, we haven't come. To, we're, we're working on it during service, second service, and it'll come. And, uh, and, I, and it's scary. I get it. And some of you wrote a number. You're thinking, it would take a miracle. Well, listen, we serve a God of miracles. And God is he gets a hold of our hearts and we do what's most important to him and that's reaching the lost here locally and to the ends of the earth. He will bless you. I, I think of this and I think, man, just think of the year ahead. What God is going to do. In a few weeks, we're going to be in a new facility. In the new year, we're going to be worshiping. It won't look like this. It's going to be a brand new facility with brand new opportunities. But we're going to keep missions at the forefront. Someone, now I'm going over our time. But someone just a, a few weeks ago, I was telling this to Ron yesterday, and I'm going to close with this, I promise. <laughs> someone said, how in the world did you build a building, a $2 million project, for cash with your size church. And you know what my answer was? We've kept missions at the forefront. I said, it's missions. It's missions. When we care about what God cares about, God, he supplies all of our needs. I've lived it. We've walked it. As a staff, we've walked it. We're going to continue to walk it. And many of you, for the first time, are going to join the journey. I say welcome to the team. So when we walk out of here today, I want your heads to be held high, trusting God, and look for opportunities in unconventional ways for God to supply. And when he does, if he can get it to you, he'll get it through you. Isn't that the way it works? Amen. Lord, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us, that you'd continue to do the supernatural here. Lord, I thank you for this time together. And I pray that as we leave here and we really enter into a mission field, I pray that you would be glorified with our lives. God, do your work. Lord, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Turn and greet someone before you go. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.